Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to episode one of Evo Talks. Evo Talks is brought to you by Evo Trucks. So, being our first episode, I thought we uh, better take a second to explain what Evo Talks is. So, Evo Talks is a logistics-based podcast bringing you insight from industry professionals in a conversational format. Our goal is to learn from these experts, but also to get to know them a bit on a personal level. We're going to make a point of asking all our guests about current events and also what they see for the future of our industry. We'll interview everyone from truck drivers to CEOs of large corporations. The beauty of the logistics industry is that it impacts everyone and therefore everyone should have a say and opinion and likely plenty of good ideas. So without further ado, let's get started. begin this one by, uh, since it's our first one, by introducing myself, your co-host with the most, the very handsome Daniel Santos. Uh, I have about 16 years of experience in the logistics industry. I've done everything from lump pallets from trailer to trailer, drive a forklift, dispatch, customer service, ran a national distribution center, uh, pretty much everything other than drive a truck or be a mechanic. I've done it. After 15 years in the business, uh, I decided to start Evo Trucks, and we'll do an episode at some point uh, discussing why Evo Trucks, exactly what Evo Trucks is, maybe a little bit more uh, detail about myself. Uh, but for now, we'll just say that over the 15 years in the business, I found that the number one issue I kept coming across was connecting freight to available trucks. It was very challenging, and it got harder and harder, which made no sense. So I decided to uh, put some pen to paper, joined up with two co-founders, and created Evo Trucks. And I am currently the CEO of Evo Trucks. And uh, it's a great segue to uh, announce our guest, who is Mr. Ross Prentice. Ross, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, I think we'll get started by uh, explaining that Ross obviously is a co-founder of Evo Trucks. Uh, we've known each other for a long time, uh, but maybe before we get into all that stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, logistics or non? Well, sure. Um, so at this time, uh, I'm, I'm basically coming up on 20 years of, uh, of working in the transportation uh, industry in Canada. Uh, I've worked in a variety of transportation settings, small and large offices, uh, industrial and professional settings. Uh, I've had lots of different opportunity to experience uh, and work with different transportation modes, uh, lots of rail, deck, bulk transportation. Uh, spent most of my time with intermodal, and it's uh, it's been a passion of mine, <coughs> learning and understanding how to work with the railways and how to interact with uh, and move things back and forth using their systems. Um, so I've been developing transportation understanding for my entire life. Um, my uh, my dad's a professor. He teaches uh, transportation-related courses at the University of Manitoba, and he's been doing that for 20 years and, and then some. Um, so I, I do come by my love of transportation, honestly. Were, let, let me ask, were you, were you forced into transportation by your dad? Uh, I wouldn't say forced, but it's certainly one of those things where you, you have an opportunity to see it in front of you a lot, and you, you get to hear and understand why transportation is important and the things that it does for our world and the, the ways that everything is touched. I mean, I heard when I was 10 years old that you know, absolutely everything that you see, everything that you touch, everything that you work with, it's been on a truck at some point, yep. no matter what it is. 
and it's it's a very very powerful idea and that you you have so much connection to it all the time without even realizing it yeah so it's, it's really interesting in that way and I That's like it. being a part of it and understanding it better um, so and then as far as me personally outside of work uh, I'm a, a creative person I like to work with a lot of different mediums I uh, I create sculptures and practical objects. Um, I do a lot of hands-on work. Uh, most of my hobbies relate in that way because there isn't really an outlet in my career for anything hands-on. Most of the work that I do is t tends to be very um, just intellectual in terms of its nature. Yeah, you're stuck I'm, at a computer I'm, and you're dealing with Yeah, and I'm at a desk yep. all day long. Yep. So being able to touch things and be able to mold things and use my hands, that's very, very important uh, yep. for my personal life. So. Yeah, um, and as far as logistic experience, um, I, I started uh, started working at an ag brokerage when I was 17 years old, uh, booking trucks and coordinating with farmers, loading their grain up, and <laughs> it was a very, very interesting experience. I actually I had an opportunity to go out to a farm a couple of times and actually watch the loading and take part in the loading, uh, and, you know, do things like lifting bags of sunflowers and loading them onto trucks and stuff like that, and it's a, it's a very, very nice piece of my experience and that I can really feel like I connected in that way with uh, directly to that that core of the industry before I really got into managing it a little bit. When, when you started out in transportation, so your dad was a uh, professor of transportation, obviously very well, uh, very knowledgeable about it, and then your first job was lumping bags of seed on the trailers. Were you like, yeah, this is the dream? Were you like, well, what I am mean, I doing? I, yeah, that may, may be, that may be simplifying it too much because <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually spent most of my time in an office and the, okay. the, the opportunity I had to go out and actually be part of the loading of seed was, was in relation to a project that we were doing that, that kind of just allowed me to be out there and do that. And, and like I said, like get, got me right down to the, what I would consider to be the base level of transportation, which is the sort of the, the, the very beginnings of touch where the, the first bit is loaded to, right. to, I mean, in this case, it was sunflowers loading into a truck that was going to end up getting translated to a rail car yep. that would go to a port, get onto a ship, and then it's off overseas. <laughs> so, I mean, like there's a lot of different pro you know, steps in that chain yep. still to happen that, you know, and I'm in the very, very first one in that case. It's a, it's a very interesting point, actually, not to cut you off, but well. most people, when they load a truck or they see the truck drive away, mm -hmm. they don't realize everything that's left Beyond all the steps that, that are like, still remaining. That's yeah. just one of a hundred steps. Yeah, until it gets to that end user's hand, it's very interesting in that way how many how many steps sometimes in the transportation yep. the chain there'll be, and then as well too the other element of it of moving off uh, things that are you know just raw materials yep. and seeing them go out. And then having things coming back the other That's way, right, yeah. and they're all finished goods. Yep. And it's just an interesting idea that we we move our raw materials all the way across the world, have them worked around yep. and then they come back to us as finished products the other way and that, that whole cycle and that all of that's involved with that is, is really really interesting it's fascinating and that's it, that's, it, the, that's it, the part about it that interests me it's interesting i won't get into my my history too much in this episode obviously because it's here to talk about you but you're talking about your first job being this 17 years old loading grain doing kind of some of the, the grunt work outside of the office my first experience with transportation was working at an automotive parts uh, distributor wholesaler I was 14 years old working summer program. Yeah. And the first job they gave me was to move semi-truck batteries by hand around the, the warehouse and into trucks. Those are heavy batteries. <laughs> it was crazy. It's, yeah. And so my first experience with trucking was, I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. Oof, this is yeah. crazy. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> 16 yeah. years later, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, they say in those situations, it's always important to recognize what hard work looks like so you That's can right. work smarter and not yeah. harder. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so let's let's uh, segue a little bit. So that, that's awesome. Uh, 
obviously we, we announced that you're a co-founder of Evo Trucks. So why don't you uh, talk a little bit maybe about how you decided to join Evo Trucks and, and if you want, even maybe explain a little bit of, of our relationship, how we met. Sure. Um, but yeah, I guess as far as uh, the, the reasons why I joined Evo Trucks, uh, they kind of actually relate back to in some ways some of the things that we went through as far as our uh, our relationship. So I'll go through that first. Okay. Um, so, I, I mean, you and I have been uh, friends now for, I guess, 11 years. 11 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, cause I met you in 2007 when you joined Kleisen. It was a you know, great experience. That we, had, we had an opportunity to, to have a lot of fun there together. I think that was a... Uh, some of my most enjoyable time working for Kleisen was with uh, was with you being there. Uh, I can remember going and we'd go golfing after work and yep. things like that. And it was just a, it was really a, a, an enjoyable time, really to, work to hard, be there. Work hard, play hard. Yep. Yeah, work really hard all day and then go and play golf and have a good time in the evenings yep. and then you know go back at it again the next day. Um, so yeah, there was uh, there was some really good, really strong memories that I can uh, that have I forged through that and and then of course uh, you and I well, we ended up. Um, doing a shared investment, buying a home together. And instead of the adventure of buying a hundred year old home and <laughs> trying to figure out how to modernize it with neither of us really having much of any construction experience otherwise, uh, it, it actually kind of, I believe to, in a lot of ways, it, it's helped to shape what we have in our friendship and what we have in our relationship as, uh, as coworkers um, in that we, we figured out through that experience that we were able to, no matter what, happened or what we did as long as we basically focused our attention on it and we used everything we had as far as our own resources and whatever we could draw from around us to sort things out that we'd get good results yep and i believe that we can basically do that with anything and regardless of, of expertise we just have to put effort into it and that's that's been really evidenced in a lot of things we've done it's a it's a great note for our listeners for anybody who wants to start a business or or have a partner in any way go buy a really old home and then try to renovate it with your with your friend. <laughs> uh, if you can get through that without fighting and you produce results, yeah. you're good. It's a relationship <laughs> it's a test. test. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. No, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then as far as uh, why I decided to join Evo Trucks, um, I mean, it, I, I mentioned earlier, and I, I really do have a passion for transportation. Um, I want to be part of making the industry better. I want to help make things better in the future for other people using transportation systems. I want to find ways of actually taking us from where we are and bringing us to somewhere better. And I think there's just there's just only so many companies out there doing that, and this is one of them. And I think that I wanted to be part of that, and that's part of the that's main reason why I wanted to join it. And as well, I, I believe I believe in you, and I believe that you have the right attitude to see the changes that the industry needs and push them through. So. Well, well, thank you. I'll, I'll say thank you on that, and and I'll add that. Uh, the, the relationship that Ross and I had played a big part in this uh, partnership, uh, being a co-founder of Evo Trucks, in the sense that the first pitch I gave Ross uh, was in my basement uh, at a little Christmas party we had, uh, just sitting on my couch with probably the worst PowerPoint uh, display in history of this very crude concept. Uh, and he bit. Which was great, well, and then we, great we refined it like crazy. And well, it's and a great idea, and that's the whole thing. And like the uh, a crude setup isn't isn't the uh, start somewhere element <laughs> of it. Yeah, I mean, like you know, you look at uh, like at Amazon started in a garage. Like it doesn't matter. Like yep. you don't have to. It doesn't have to be amazing to begin with. That's not how. That's not how amazing things are. That's right. Amazing yep. things don't start out amazing. They become amazing, and that's really well what this is. It's yep. it, it has to be that way. Well said. So, yeah. So I mean, uh, uh, as far as You've you've got me here on the show. I'm uh, 
I'm an intermodal guy. Let's talk intermodal. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. So uh, I don't think that uh, maybe all of our, our listeners even know what intermodal is. So why don't we just dive into Why don't you explain yeah. what intermodal is? So uh, specifically, I mean, by definition, intermodal just means involving two or more modes of transportation in a, a specific move. Um, commonly, this is a, a way of referring to road and rail uh, blending together in movement uh, and we, we do a lot of that in Canada we have a huge amount of geography there's major advantages to connecting the two because you just really save so much efficiency in terms of what you're able to gain we have a huge rail network giant rail network <laughs> across the country in, yeah. in place and the road network that realistically speaking I mean as much as you know and I think most Canadians listening would but a test our roads are not excellent that is correct <laughs> and putting more trucks on them with more weight and more demand uh, yeah, uh, the thing about it uh, people probably don't realize as well too is that the the modern containers a 53 foot long container it holds 60,000 pounds to do that with with modern trucks I mean that most of the trucks you see on the road are, are tandem, tandem axle yep. and most of them are pulling somewhere in the neighborhood of 45,000 pounds right, yep. give or take like yep. at, at max like they're not really pulling much more and the, and the reality of that is... And one at a time. And one at a time. And yep. to move that like that across the country, to, if you're thinking about it, you're moving 15, well, 15,000 pounds less, like it's a quarter less basically yep. of the freight. Every single move you're doing all the way along, that's a huge amount more trucks you'd have to have on the road just to be able to manage the overall volumes. Right. So it, it, there's just a certain amount of value that, that's intrinsic to rail in that way and that you can hold so much weight and move so much weight very efficiently without having to do nearly the amount of adjustment that you'd have to do in terms of making sure things are even so distributed properly too. Would you say that that's the, the major benefits to, to intermodal is just that you can move more with less, I don't know, like not as many trucks, not as many resources? Yeah, I mean, it's an environmentally friendly option. It takes long haul trucks off the road, basically. Then it, may, it should, by that nature, make our highways safer because you're going to have less overall incidences of movement. As a result, there should be less incidences of possible risk. Right. So in a lot of ways, there's, there's huge benefits that way. This is also very beneficial for truck drivers in general, really, really good for their home life because instead of them right. being out on the road for days at a time, they're instead able to just work in the city, move things around as they need to, and the train does all the movement city to city for yep. them. And it doesn't doesn't involve them. They don't have to be, they don't have to have that. And they can still touch and be part of a major and important network, yep. but not have to take part in driving all the way across it all the time. I, so. I can actually hear teeth grinding, which is some of the, the long haul drivers that are probably listening to this that love their job. We're not saying that long haul drivers shouldn't exist. That's not what oh, he's saying. No, no, no. And uh, that's not it at all. It, the, but the idea of this though is that it, it's allowing for people who, who that industry is not appealing to or those people that don't connect to that and yeah. aren't able to do that work possibly and need that that as an option. This now opens that up where it wasn't a possibility before. That's just, I mean, intermodal has only been really in major use for the last 20 years or so. It okay. hasn't really been, like before that, I mean, even, even 20 years ago, you're talking about trailers being That's still right. put on yeah. trains rail using cars and rail cars like rail bizarre setups like you know, Office, these. Yeah. exactly so <laughs> yeah. it really does in that way make it uh yeah. you know yeah, it's certainly different interesting so okay so if one of our listeners was thinking about uh using intermodal what, what would be the benefits is it cheaper than going long haul so yeah it's less expensive um and it, it's basically the 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 major benefits of intermodal are are environmental in terms of the uh, amount of you know overall reduction in fossil fuel burn mm -hmm. comparative to trucks. 
uh, it's going to be more cost efficient in terms of overall price because you're just you're not going to get the same level of service and you're also right. not going to get the same level of of, uh, of speed as well too yeah it's just there's a, a major difference with moving with rail as well too i mean uh, you know to it's it's sort of you can glorify it in saying it's it's you know certainly a, a better option environmentally and cost wise but it has its disadvantages as well too and that those things are those things come at a, at a at the price of speed in a lot of cases because you're moving at, at often half or a third of the speed is what you can do with a yeah. truck yeah. and just in general the the type of movement and the consistency of the movement is different um, and you don't have the one-on-one -on -one touch right so when you need information it's stuck in a train with 100 cars yep. it's not like you're calling the driver that's got the trailer behind him and says yeah it's still here i'm good i'll be there in an hour for sure you're relying on cn's reporting or cp's reporting and yeah absolutely and i mean on these there's there's major challenges working with them too like they like you, you need to understand going and it's it's going to take basically two or three days longer than a truck right. in most cases in the summer yeah and in the winter time that can be three to five days and depending on the nature of it you can deal if you're dealing with cn or cp which majority of time you would be unless you're dealing with an intermediary like if you deal with if you deal with Clayson, we yep. deal with the railway for you right right if you're dealing directly to the railway which believe me is worth it <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely yeah yeah i mean the majority a lot of our customers actually have told us that it's it's specifically that it's it's difficult to work with the railways yeah. and that they're they're a challenging network to understand and they, they just there's so many intricacies within that that getting to the right person and actually speaking to the right people and doing the getting all of that stuff that's actually a real skill that yeah. is it's it's hard to do that and then navigating cn and cp's networks can be challenging so um they're they're really they're very large it creates a lot of difficulties um and then there's um the only other challenge I could think of uh, that, that comes to mind as far as uh, intermodal or, or the major one anyway is that dimensional limitations. Um, so uh, with a regular truck, you can kind of get away a little bit with positioning the freight however you'd like. Right. You can put all of it on the front, you can put all of it in the back. It, it may be challenging for the driver to handle the container yeah. or, or the, the vehicle, the van in that case. Uh, but they'll still haul it. Right. In the case of the railway, if they you won't. don't balance the container right. load out, they'll they'll kick you out of the gate. Yeah. They don't even they don't even want you in there. So and they'll tell you to go rework it and then they'll bring it back. And and I guess stuff like overdimensional tractors or anything you move overdimensional, the rail lines are starting to adopt decks, but they still can't be overdimensional. You can't have a piece of pipe sticking out sideways over a uh, yeah, the, rail deck, right? Well, the 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 rail network <laughs> is is the overdimensional network, though, right? So I mean, like you know, if you want to move anything massive, you move it on the rail network because it's it's mm. just it allows you that much that much more option i mean but i mean width wise you can't put something on a rail car that's 12 feet wide a lot of those rail lines go side by side and the trains miss each other by a foot yeah well there's definitely dimensional limitation right. that way and it, and it, depending on what routing you take and that's that's the other thing too is you've got it's similar to highways in that way where you've got permits that allow you to go certain highways to right. go to certain things with rail lines as well, you know, if, if it's something where it's it's extra wide, I would imagine that they have that they would send it down just to single track or right. whatever, or, or that there's that there are options for that, because the the biggest things in the world typically move in that right, fashion. Right. Like you got to yeah. you got to have them go by rail. So it, it, it there's there's certainly options for that. That's a part of the rail network that I'm not as familiar with. Right. Uh, right. With intermodal intermodal tends. I don't to think be, it's huge in Canada either. That that overdimension. Well, I mean, maybe maybe not the rail deck stuff, but the. Rail decks not as much, no, and, and th those are the. I think it's it's really an efficiency thing that gets you with the rail deck because it's it, it's hard to move them around in the first place. Right. Deck margins to a certain degree, depending on where you're moving from, you, you almost can kind of go 
from and back with your high, with your head haul rate, just the yep. nature of it. So it, right. it doesn't really make sense a lot of the time. It, I mean, this is again where, where Evo trucks can kind of come in as a as yep. a helper in that way, <laughs> and, the, and it allows for people to be able to benefit in both sides, right. and they can potentially make things better. Maybe that'll get maybe that'll open things up a little bit for rail decks more yeah. as things come along. Good point. So so if we were talking about the the ideal intermodal customer, this is somebody that has the time. Like isn't it isn't it a rush? They're not last mile uh, or last minute delivery or anything like that. Yeah, it Got wouldn't be just in time stuff. Just in time, yeah. Um, in general, perishables would want to avoid that. Anything right. that anything where you're going to have potential difficulty uh, yeah. or if there's a potential for difficulty and any kind of delay would create problems for your freight. That's where you're going to get into truck. more of a concern. Yeah, yeah if it, you just put it on a truck, but just yeah. you just guarantee it in that way. And and ultimately, when you're comparing freight rates with intermodal, it's not so prohibitively expensive to use a truck. Yeah. It's just that if you can use intermodal and you've got a network that allows for that and you can do it continuously, if you can save four or five hundred dollars a shipment right. and you're gonna do that over six or seven hundred times a year, yep. I mean, that's real money at that, that point. Yep. If, if it's you know, if it's fifty or sixty bucks difference, you know, it's not gonna be missed right. as much Time matter. Might be that. More important. And so that's where some of that marginal stuff comes in because there are certain moves for intermodal where where that those margins get close. Yeah. And just by its nature, for the distance that you're traveling, if you go, right. if you're going to go somewhere close, and if it's a short haul type of lane, sometimes trucks compete actually, and that's right. it, it. It can be very challenging for intermodal carriers. Margins are actually quite tight for for intermodal in general. Uh, I think in in transport right now, altogether they're probably pretty tight, and our, our listeners can probably uh, comment on that when we have these up on uh, on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so listen, the right now there's a driver shortage. Everybody's aware of uh, truck capacity seems to be getting tighter. One of the major challenges I've always thought about with, with rail or intermodal is that it's it's a bit of a finite, in my opinion, it's a bit of a finite uh, resource, right? Like there's only so much track. To put down new rail track, I think I heard somewhere that's like a million dollars a mile. Like we're not putting much more track down. It's just too cost prohibitive. Yeah. But do you think that intermodal uh, going forward can help alleviate some of the pressure that's on uh, on the trucking network right now in North America? I think it already is. Okay. Um, and I think actually intermodal in general has been has been hiding a real problem with driver shortage for quite a while. Oh, intermodal's facing it too. Well, I mean intermodal's facing it, but I, I think as a as a total for the for the for our I don't uh, I'll, I'll say our country because I, I really yeah. can't speak for the U.S. But, right. but for our country, we've been facing a driver shortage for quite a while, That's true. and a huge amount of that freight has come over to intermodal. A, a massive amount of it and what you're finding actually is that it's, it's not hard finding modal drivers because they'll again it's, it's the life it's yeah. the lifestyle yeah. you can and if as an intermodal driver you can make a six-figure salary no problem they could absolutely make a six-figure salary doing truck driving yeah. and being home in your bed every night right so it's it's not that it's not possible to do that and it's again it's just i think that that reality didn't exist a, a while back and it's it's allowed for i think Shoulder to a little more industry, a little more people to get into that industry right. than maybe would have otherwise. But with the driver shortage getting worse, so today they say we're about fifty thousand drivers short. By twenty twenty six, they're saying about one hundred seventy five thousand drivers short. Like it's getting worse. Does the rail? Do the rail lines have capacity to continue to alleviate some of that, or do you think that it's sort of at the max right now where it's doing what it can? Uh, I mean, they're going to continue to develop efficiency, and I think that that's going to. It's going to allow them to meet some of the demand, but mm-hmm. not all of it. And it, I think that those those projections are all based on historical numbers and where they where things should go if everything continues the same, which we all know it won't. Right. So it's a question as well too of of where are things going? 
because right. I, I honestly believe that in a lot of ways we're not that far away from a lot of automation and once you start getting automation to the mix it really changes things I mean it's a game changer for transportation in, in so many ways um, so realistically speaking I think intermodal is going to is going to develop into and will eventually become even more effective than it is now to the point where you'll see it being able to possibly without having to add any more to the network be able to add a huge amount more freight right just by doing things effectively in terms of the way trains are planned mm -hmm. um, CN's already been working very hard on and, and has honed over the course of the last 10 years or so their intermodal reservation system okay. which is really really important because it's starting to position all the freight onto different days and it's it's getting shippers into the idea and the pushing people into the mentality of moving freight on certain days that they wouldn't have otherwise and it's really moving things around and blending it out so yeah. you, what you used to have would be you know six or seven hundred containers arriving at a terminal on, or, or at TCN's terminals across Canada yeah. on a Friday right and, and then being forced to figure out how to manage this yeah. and now it's it's they only accept a couple hundred a day at each terminal all the way across the country and they and they just basically tell people sorry you're not coming in today you're coming in tomorrow and as a result they've blended their whole their whole network across and it, and they've been able to move and spread out that freight so that instead of it being that they get these big spikes they get actually quite quite blended out freight or it's it's they're, they're able to really um move it along yeah, and move it around yeah. so they can even things out and they don't end up in a position they're more where efficient in the in the long run right so that's but, but this part brings of it. up the point of this is why it might be challenging for the average person to, to work with intermodal is right. you've got to understand these rules how to how to get your freedom what's a reservation like you got to even get a spot yeah like so so, a, so I think our advice one. would be to anybody who hasn't used intermodal that would like to use intermodal uh, probably start by using an intermediary it certainly be a, a really good way of getting an introduction to it without want to be getting frightened away right, at right. that point because it, it's be very easy to get scared away by that network it, it can be very intimidating and in a lot of ways for a person just wanting to move one container it doesn't make sense to get familiar right, right. at that point yeah. like if you're going to move a lot of containers or you're looking at this as a solution for your business to change things then definitely get educated about it and if you can do it yourself and you're able to do it without having to take on too much then you know all the power to you there's right. Uh, there's real benefits to, to dealing with intermediaries, though, because a lot of times the, the contracts that CN and CP will sign with those intermediaries will Better allow them, than you can get. Will allow them yeah. to, to offer you prices that are either the same, similar, maybe even a little bit cheaper sometimes than what the CN or CP right. rates will be. And on top of that, you're getting their service. Right. And that's what that's where Kleisen ends up being. And that's I mean, I've been with them for a long time and seeing them operate the business in that fashion. That's where a huge amount of our customers come from is, right. the, is just people that see the value in having us manage that relationship for them interesting okay so so you kind of brought it up a little bit here and i, I wanted to ask about it because it's something that you and i have been talking about almost from the start of our relationship is is autonomous trucks autonomous vehicles uh, you know we've got electric trucks coming up tesla's trying to do it there's a few other companies do you think that we'll start here do you think that the autonomous truck will kill rail service oh no definitely not no i don't see it killing it as much as complimenting it okay um, I think the automated truck would be more for shipments requiring urgency. You're going to see it used in a similar capacity as what you see over the road trucking now. Right. Um, and in a lot of ways, the railway would be repositioned to the sort of, again, lower priority freight. And the, and the whole transportation network, as it becomes more efficient, 
you can sort of scale things off where you just make it price prohibitive for certain products yeah. where it just it doesn't make sense to send it in a truck because frankly the, the stuff's just not worth it right and i mean if you're sending you know, you know loose material that's just you know, just just garbage or junk or whatever and you're trying to get it out or you're moving it across the country and you're selling it at a wholesale price or, yep. or bulk grain things that are low value like that sort of stuff that should move on rail right and it doesn't need to go on a truck yep absolutely so that the autom automated truck network i think will end up over the course of time being able to to pull things off of rail that don't really need to be on there or that are sort of on there as a, as almost like a shoulder product like where it, it, they, they they're just barely on there and they really don't they probably shouldn't be yeah and that, that ultimately rail ends up hurting their business in more fashions than it helps it so those types of circumstances i think will will be where you'll see that happen and then as well too you'll you'll see some of that stuff probably where where you had air being used before to move some things you'll probably see that a little bit coming to the automated truck network as well too because you'll be able to just move things so quickly yeah comparatively speaking no hours of service you don't have any hours of service night. speed limits could be a lot different yeah. you can have dedicated corridors where they can run in and they can drive it literally massive trains speed. running down the road basically like yeah. like very similar to trains right yeah. and, and in operating in a similar fashion but but operating on the road network instead so so on that note so we, we don't think it'll kill or you don't think it'll kill the rail lines with with we we've, we've already agreed that we think a Autonomous vehicles are coming. I don't think there's anything that's going to stop that momentum. Depend, it might take a while for them to get here, but I think they're coming. Do you see that alleviating the driver shortage? Do you think it'll eliminate truck drivers' jobs completely, or do you think it, it won't have an impact at all? Oh, I mean, it'll absolutely have an impact, but I, I really don't see it eliminating the jobs entirely. Um, people by nature are or have a need, I feel like, to see a person in a machine when it's operating. Right. I, we have this in, with airplanes now, where realistically speaking, the, the human being is Isn't there. <laughs> but but the but the airplane, if we if we wanted to, we could make the airplane take off and land all on its own. Right. The human being doesn't need to be there. Ultimately, I mean, they they, they play a very important role in that. If something goes wrong, they got to be there and be able to do something about it. So there's. There's value to them being there, and I think in the same fashion, that's where the human being comes in in the in the in the trucking industry, where you're going to have um, instead of truck drivers, you'll have a, I believe is uh, something more of a truck steward, mm -hmm. someone who's just who's who uh, who their job is to be there in the truck. If something goes wrong, they're able to to see it and recognize it and do something about it potentially. Uh, have all sorts of other job duties that they would take on. You know, would be the things that currently a truck driver does that the automated truck just simply can't do. I think that uh, that we can probably turn this into a whole other episode. So so maybe we'll we'll pen it there and do that. I'll end it. I'll end that topic by by being a bit of the devil's advocate. That I actually think it's going to be really detrimental for truck drivers, and I don't necessarily think that right away because I, I agree with you. I think at first people are going to want to see a driver in there, kind of in the emergency situation. But as as AI gets better. Uh, I think AI will react better to emergency situations than humans can. Uh, so I'm I'm really curious to see how it goes. Obviously, I don't want to see people lose their jobs, uh, but I do think it's going to have a, a massive impact. And uh, and I think well, we better have more episodes about it because it's it's a big topic coming up. So okay, so let's let's uh, wrap this up a little bit here. A couple more questions. Uh, so if you had to list your top one or two biggest challenges facing the logistics industry today, particularly in North America. What would they be? Um, well, I'd say uh, rates in general. 
are, are an issue. Um, nobody wants to pay more for the finished goods, period. Like True. anywhere. Nobody wants to pay more. Yeah. Everybody wants to pay either the same as they're paying now or they want to pay less. Right. They have no desire to pay more. But the reality of it is everything's getting more expensive, yeah. always, yeah. constantly. And the reality of it is in the transportation industry that, that, that rates in general haven't come up that much over the course of time. They, Actually, they, if you look at the, the indexes, they've gone down. They've gone like down the or 70s, flattened. Yeah. Like it's, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous because yeah. it shouldn't be like that. And, and the, so that's, that's a problem. Yep. in my opinion. And, and the only way you get correction on that is you have to have the industry to a certain degree banding together and deciding this is what it's going to cost and that's just that. Yep. I mean, you look at the diamond exchange. Diamonds aren't worth what they say diamonds are worth. Not. Diamonds are worth what people diamonds, will pay. <laughs> people will pay. And yep. people will pay what those people tell them to pay right. because they're in control of all the diamonds. <laughs> and that's the reason why diamonds <laughs> cost what they cost. And for all of us in the transportation industry, in control of all the trucks, yep. we got to do the same thing in that fashion. we got to find a way to tell everybody out there, you need to pay more, a little bit more for your finished goods. And unfortunately, that means everybody in the industry as well, too, has to come to that recognition and be willing to pay a little bit more for their finished goods and understand that that money is going towards a safe and healthy transportation network. What we have right now isn't safe and healthy. I've... I've had an opportunity to watch it firsthand with drivers owning trucks and carrying on trucks that are far older and yep. far worse shape than they should be. And that put to the test in an emergency situation, some of them probably wouldn't They're hold up. Yeah. And the reality of it is that's not fair. There's no way that should be like that. Right. The These people are doing a a very, very important job and they're, they're filling an incredibly important role within our society and they're being forced to do it at pennies on the dollar for what they should be getting. So so I'm going to say this. I think it's a great point. I think rates are a huge issue and I think the points you brought up are, 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 are real and legitimate. Um, if trucking companies, truck drivers charge more per shipment, which is what we're saying, band together, charge more, they're also the end consumer. Yes. So by charging more, they wind up paying more at the counter to a degree it offsets. So I think uh, you and I will probably agree that I believe the best way to address the rate issue is to increase efficiency. 100%. And, and so that, that's where that's where Evil Trucks comes in. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll address that again at, at another topic. But uh, I, I agree with you. Rates have got to change. But I think we got to be careful about... Like I, I see on some of these Facebook groups and when you talk to drivers, they're like... You know, they're so frustrated with the way rates are right now. And and it, it, it cycles, right? It goes up and it goes down. And when it's down, everybody's hurting like crazy. But if everybody stands up and almost goes on a strike and says, we want to charge more for our services, at the end of the day, you're also the one paying more. So we, I think we do have to find ways to keep rates level if we can, uh, but make people more profitable. Would you agree with that? Uh, oh, sure. I mean, it's I guess it's a matter of consumption, too. Because it's again, you you look at uh, you look at the circumstances. I mean, again, we go back to my diamond example. Yep. The people at the diamond exchange, if they go buy diamonds at the diamond store, are still paying more for their diamonds. Yes. They're getting paid more for their diamonds, but they're paying more too, and that's okay. And and the reality of it is that should happen that way. It seems ridiculous, though, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I don't I don't argue with you. Yeah. That's part of the reason I brought it up, is I believe it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the notion of this really is that that it's 
the, in order to be able to advance along, you have to you have to keep moving things up. Right. Uh, I, I watched. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example of Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is a great example. Uh, take what you would pay five years ago to Tim Hortons to buy today, the same item. Yeah. And you'll be, uh, what is it? Fifteen cents short. Okay. Because every single year, like clockwork, they raise the price of their items by three cents. Right. Every single year yep. without failure. And nobody notices. And yeah, nobody cares. It's three cents. Because it's three cents. Right. And who would notice three cents? There's but a book o- about a dry But over the like course that, yeah. of time, it's massively important. For sure. And the reason it's massively important is that all of your costs over time go up. All of your expenses and all of your situation, everything goes up over the course of time. So, in order, unless you raise your rates along with it, you're never going to keep up. And the reality of it is that in these, in those little tiny margins, those little bit pieces like that, no one notices it. Yeah. However, if today you go to Tim Hortons and you buy a bagel, and it's X amount, and tomorrow you go and it's twenty cents more, you'll notice. You'll notice. Yeah. You'll complain. You'll be sure. like, whoa. It's, well, yesterday it was only five, you know, five eleven. Why is it five thirty one today? Yeah. What happened? Whereas if it's five eleven today and tomorrow it's five fourteen, you're was it was it eleven yesterday or was it fourteen? Nobody knows. And nobody and nobody cares. really pays attention. Yeah. And that's the difference. If you do it gradually, you're able to be successful. So my with with that being said, my advice to transportation carriers out there, raise your rates every single year. But don't do it by a lot. That's right, yeah. Just yep. raise it a little bit every year. Yeah. And don't ever go a year without doing it. Yeah. Because that's the biggest failure. You'll end up in a position where you'll be behind. Yeah. Because everything else goes up. It, it really makes me want to segue into a conversation about government and property taxes, but we'll we'll table that because that's not the that's not the yeah podcast. it's a different <laughs> different podcast yeah we'll, we'll but, transition that one over to the uh, government and taxes. <laughs> Okay, so let's finish up with this question. So uh, we've talked about lots of challenges in the industry where we think things are going. What excites you about the future of logistics in North America right now? Personally, and I mean, as much as it's 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 a bit of a pain to the industry in some ways as well too. I, I love the idea of the automation. The automation excites me in in ways because it allows for a totally different view of what the network could be, and I can really envision a. a a future where the a huge percent of the driving that's done is, is really done by automated vehicles, yep. and that only a very very small percentage of the of the movements that are done are done by human beings. Keeping that kind of control on 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 a machine instead of having it on a, on a human, I've just seen human beings over the course of my life be too inconsistent with the way that they behave. Agreed. Yeah. Machines aren't like that. Yeah. And it's just. By taking that element out of the equation, it really makes things, you can change things and do things a lot differently. And I yeah. mean, without involving and having to, to work through the, the notion of, of people and their own needs and, and like the, the needs of a human being, to not have to address the needs of a human being in, in, a, in a movement changes entirely what you can do. Yeah. And, and ultimately, at this point right now, anybody who's not taking the human being into account isn't doing it very nicely and isn't doing it very correctly. Yeah. And, and ultimately, that's they're, they're probably doing it wrong. And in the future, they'll be doing it right. Right. 
Yeah, well, well said. Uh, when we post this up, I, I'd really love to get uh, our our listeners' comments on on what they feel about automation and, and the future of that uh, in our industry, specifically uh, the drivers who are listening. Uh, I know there's a lot of a lot of uh, argument or or conversation to be had about whether uh, an autonomous system will be able to adapt to the snowy road and the icy bend better than a better than a human. And I know a lot of the uh, the, the veteran, really good truck drivers out there might argue that uh, that a computer will never be able to do it better than them. So uh, I'm open to that debate, and I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. So uh, listen, that uh, that wraps up uh, all the questions we had. So I want to say a, a big thank you to our guest, uh, Mr. Ross Prentice. Thank you for making the time for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and a big thank you to our producer, uh, Ben Arjang, who's sitting here quietly uh, putting this all together for us in this, in this lovely studio of his. Yes, that time.